Hi, I'm Steve Mabb, Chair of the Australian Shareholders Association, and we're proud to be hosting the 2024 Investor Conference in Melbourne from the 19th to the 21st of May. And we're stoked that Phil, the host of this podcast, is going to be our special guest MC. If you haven't heard much about the ASA Conference, it's a flagship event that attracts around 300 investors and industry professionals, including the Chair of National Australia Bank this year, the Chair of AGL. We have Dr. Sam Hupert, the founder and CEO of Primedicus, and we've also got Richard White, the founder and CEO of WiseTech coming along, along with many others. For a limited time, new members can enjoy special pricing on registration for the upcoming conference, along with a complimentary 12-month digital membership with the ASA. That's two-day conference registration plus one-year ASA membership for $499, a saving of $150. Simply search for Australian Shareholders Conference Register, click on two-day conference non-member, enter the discount code MEM, as in member, 499, the number's 499, so that's MEM 499 to claim your special offer. Come along and meet me and Phil at the conference. We look forward to seeing you there. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of Shares for Beginners. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Phil Muscatello and FinPods are authorized reps of Money Sherpa. The information in this podcast is general in nature and doesn't take into account your personal situation. Shares for beginners. Weekend watch list. G'day and welcome to Shares for Beginners Weekend Watch List, where we take a close look at an individual company that you may wish to consider for your watch list. It's not a recommendation to buy, but a way for you to learn how Stockopedia screens for value. Joining me today is Chris Batchelor, and we're talking AGL Energy Limited ASX Code AGL. And he was saying that Elio thought that this was a tough one for you to take on. <laughs> Yeah, indeed. It's it's a complex company, but it, it's quite a fascinating one as well. And obviously, it's been in the news a bit, so why don't we have a bit of a discussion about it? Let's take a crack at it. Okay, so um, the half-year report uh, came out last week, and the share price jumped 10.3% on February 8, with underlying earnings beating market expectations by 28%. That's a big change on what everyone in the market was expecting, wasn't it? Indeed, indeed it was, and and as you saw, the market reacted to that. So obviously, they've had a very strong first half of the year, and that compares to a very dismal year last year, the prior year. Now, bear in mind that in the prior year, they had a large write-down, so that affects their reported numbers, but the numbers you're quoting from there are the underlying numbers. So the change is 28%, as you said. If you compare the actual reported numbers, you're looking at more like four times. So yes, some, some significant changes in the business over the course of these last six months. Do you often get surprises like that in the market? I mean, it seems to be such a big surprise for the market. It is a bit unusual these days because we have what we call a continuous disclosure regime. 
where um, companies are required to keep the market up to date on anything sort of material that develops in between their actual reporting periods. I guess in this case, it wasn't one particular event. It's just a, a series of factors that have come together to, to make this result better than what people were expecting. And whilst it was better, it wasn't ridiculously better. So yeah, you do get surprises like this, but it is a bit unusual, particularly for a utility type business, which is sort of fairly plain vanilla, if you like. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those um, businesses that you would normally expect kind of regular returns, aren't they? Exactly. More, yep. more of your infrastructure play. So one of the factors was the role of higher power prices. Tell us about that. For sure. So what happens, of course, AGL primarily is a seller of electricity. If you're able to charge more for your product, then all else being equal, you're going to make a higher profit. So they've been in that situation where uh, due to the situation in the wholesale markets, they were able to trade or sell their electricity at a lot higher price than what they had done in prior years. and. They also had a few other things go their way. They had a good, efficient use of their power plants, uh, basically meaning minimal outages, minimal maintenance, and their input costs, their raw materials, uh, which are mainly coal and gas, didn't jump at all. So they were able to uh, utilize that and generate some good margins. And they operate on you know relatively tight margins, so that does make a big difference at the end of the day. And obviously, this kind of signals that there's going to be little relief for households gripped by cost of living crisis, isn't it? Uh, pretty much, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't, you know, last year we all looked at our power bills and they were up 20, 30%. I know mine was up 20%, and I looked at the usage and it was down 9%. Well, what's going on here? Obviously, it's just price. You're not going to see that again, I wouldn't imagine. That's very unlikely. But neither are you going to see your bills fall. They'll probably inch up a, a little bit in the coming year. Um, so, yeah, there won't be any relief as such, but we shouldn't get the big shocks like we saw last year. So um, why have you become interested in this company in particular and wanted to talk about it today? Yeah, well, what struck me, um, yeah, obviously, it was a very interesting result and, um, you know, drew some headlines. But what I'm obviously focused on is Stockopedia and how it's um, been treated within Stockopedia. And this stock really jumped. We, we rank stocks from one to 100 across the market, and AGL's ranking jumped 31 points up all the way up to 98. So, you know, I wanted to understand, well, why is that? What's caused that to happen? Now, the biggest driver has been the jump in the value rank. It's jumped by 50 points and is now sitting at 94. Now, that reflects a few things. One, of course, being the big jump in earnings. Uh, and it's looking primarily at the reported earnings. So th that's the really big jump that we talked about at the top. Also, they increased their dividends. At the si same time as that was happening, if you look at a, a share price chart, you'll see over the last six months that it's actually declined. And whilst we had the small pop uh, the other day, it's still overall in the last six months uh, come down quite a bit. So when you've got those two factors, price and earnings moving in the opposite direction, well, that's a really good scenario for your valuation metrics. And so we've seen all of those value metrics starting to look quite attractive now. Uh, I should also mention the quality score improved by 20 points, and that's based on improved margins and the return on equity. And also our third factor is the momentum score. And that's picked up significantly primarily because analysts are really re-rating their 2024 earnings expectations. 
I'm just interested to hear about how the numbers get plugged into Stockopedia. Obviously, we get a, um, a full-year report, or in this case, a half-yearly report coming out. How quickly do the numbers are the numbers reflected in Stockopedia, and how do they get in there? Yeah, they're generally updated within 24 hours, particularly for the, the larger companies. We use a, one of the major data providers, Refinitiv, and they have teams around the world who literally scour the reports and type all the numbers in, and then we get an electronic feed of that through to our database, process it through our algorithms, and usually that happens overnight, and the next day you'll see the, the new numbers. So this will show up on an alert if you've got it set up on particular metrics pertinent to your style of investing. Is that the case? That is the case indeed, yeah. You can set alerts on a whole range of different factors. If you've been following this stock, you might have an alert saying, uh, if the stock rank jumps above 80, send me a message and, and you'll get an email message saying that that has occurred. So you'll be able to jump straight in and take a look why. And presumably as well, you're going to get a, a like a top 20 uh, value stocks, for example, and it would show up there, wouldn't it? Yes, that's right. Yep. Okay. Let's talk about the uh, 800 pound gorilla in the room, Mike Cannon Brooks. Um, what's the, fa- the MCB factor moving forward? He seems to have been a lot quieter lately than he was about a year ago. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, they own over 10% of the business and they remain one of the, or they are the largest shareholder in the business. Now, obviously, they put that stake in place because they wanted to really shake up the business, particularly with their you know, environmental perspective. They have actually recently reduced their holding, not by a lot, but by a little bit. But they did make an announcement that they were happy with the way the business was being run, not 100% happy, but basically felt that the things were now going in the right direction and they remained fully committed to the business. So what that means from their perspective from what I can tell, is that they're pretty much managing it as a component of their investment portfolio. You know, their objective was to phase out coal power stations quicker than what had initially been put forward. They achieved that. We've now got a timetable of um, coal to be phased out by 2035. They did stress at the recent AGM that they wanted to see tougher carbon reduction hurdles, particularly for some of the key executives, and tie those to their long-term incentives. Um, you know, they're looking for a decent return on their investment. It's not pure philanthropy. That's a hard word. But uh, yeah, I think they're sort of just now viewing it more as one of those components of their portfolio rather than the big splash that they, they made a bit over a year ago. And of course, this is going to require a lot of uh, capital expenditure. Um, what's the scale of the CapEx that's required to lower carbon emissions? Yeah, massive in a word. So they're looking at building 12 gigawatts of renewable energy generation and firming capacity by 2036. Now, to put that in perspective, their current portfolio today is 10.4 gigawatts. So they're basically going to replace all that they have and then some within a, what's that, a 12-year period. So that's, you know, that's a massive goal. Their interim target is 5 gigawatts of renewable energy by 2030, which is, of course is only six years away. And their development pipeline is growing. Over the last six months, it's grown from 5.3 gigawatts to 5.8 gigawatts. Also worth bearing in mind, they've got a 20% stake in a business called Tilt Renewables, and they themselves have a 3.5 gigawatt pipeline. So what does that come down to in dollars and cents? It comes down to they expect to spend around 3 to $4 billion by FY30 and then an additional 5 to $6 billion by FY36. 
So as you can see, that's a massive amount of investment. They anticipate investment returns in the order of six to eight and a half percent for their renewables and seven to 11 percent for their firming and flexible generation. So obviously, Decent returns, decent long-term returns, not staggering returns, but for a utility business, that would be considered quite respectable. So they're making the investment based on the presumption that it will be a profitable investment to make. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Are you picking shares on Gut Instinct? Buying on press tips or rumours? Do you struggle to find the time to keep up with the research and analysis that goes into evaluating potential stocks? Stockopedia are pleased to offer a special deal to listeners of this podcast, a 14-day free trial and a 10% discount on the first year of membership. Sign up now at y.stockopedia.com sfb. There's no better time to access the most comprehensive, easy-to-use investing toolbox for DIY share investors. 10% off, 14-day free trial, and a 30-day money-back guarantee. That's why.stockopedia.com slash SFB. I was having a chat with uh, a company monitor from the Australian Shareholders Association last year, and it was in the context of Origin, but um, they did also mention AGL as well, is that um, the actual scale of the c- capital expenditure required was very difficult to to find in Australia. Is, is that the case, or will they be able to get this money, and how do they get this money? Uh, yeah, good question. It is, is a large amount of money. I imagine that they would be able to mainly because of those return rates that we quoted and assuming that they're not rubbery figures and that they can put together a very believable scenario where those returns are possible, then investors like superannuation funds, you know, big institutional investors that are looking for steady rates of return to meet their ongoing liabilities, they would be very interested in assets like those. And this company, of course, comes under, as we mentioned, the infrastructure umbrella. And these kind of companies are very attractive to, you know, the super funds here in Australia and pension funds around the the world, aren't they? That's right, yeah, because what those investors are looking for often is steady returns, particularly if they've got unit holders that are in the older demographic, so people that are looking to retire or who have indeed retired, they need to be able to provide steady cash flow, steady income, and the way they do that, it's called asset liability matching. So they look for assets that provide them with a steady income, and then they are able to you know, make sure that they're matched to the income that they're providing to their unit holders. I like that term, asset liability matching. (laughs) That's something for even small retail investors to think about, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Because you lower your risk if you know that the assets are going to cover your liabilities, not just in terms of the absolute value, but the cash flows. You know, if you've got an investment where you've borrowed to pay for it in a property, for example, and you know your interest bill, well, if you know that your rent is going to cover that, then that takes that stress away because you've got that 
or covered. And that, that's one for an infrastructure business. That's one of the um, the main costs, isn't it? Is the cost of funds. And um, if you can get the co- if you can get the funds at a reasonable amount, or if they go down, that's going to impact profitability. That's right. And so, you know, when you're looking at, you know, we quoted those returns and they're all single digit pretty much. You know, that's not an exciting, you know, growth investors are not going to get excited about that. But someone who's looking to provide an income stream, generally they're going to be quoting single digit returns to their investors. And so they're just looking to make a small margin on top of that. So they're really looking for stability of the earnings profile more so than you know the the magnitude. So now that analysts have been so surprised this time, what's the outlook moving forward? Yeah, the outlook is interesting. I can probably would break this down into two components. One being the 2024 outlook has now been revised up. Um, that's no surprise, I guess. And management confirmed that you know they'd set a range for what they expected for earnings, and they've confirmed that they'll be in the top part of that range. So they're obviously very confident of a good result and they have a lot of visibility on their results. It's it's important to note that whilst wholesale electricity prices tend to fluctuate quite a lot, they use a lot of derivatives. When you look at their balance sheet, there's a lot of money invested in derivatives and people hear the term derivatives and think speculation and risk, but actually businesses like this are using derivatives for risk reduction. They're locking in their price for the next 12 months so they know what income they're going to receive and what they're going to have to pay out. And and that way, they're able to manage the risk um, reasonably effectively. But when it comes to the uh, sort of longer term outlook, analysts are expecting things to decline in 2025, so not particularly long term, but you know, the, the following year, not by a huge margin, but they are expecting maybe as much as a 16% decline in earnings per share. So I guess, yeah, there's a kind of feeling that this was maybe a bit of a one-off, this this jump. So we'll, we'll see if that pans out or not. And some of the risks moving forward. What about the price gouging inquiry that's um, currently, I don't think it's started yet, but we'll, we'll be about to. Yeah. I mean, the risk for AGL and any business of this nature is that they're a big consumer-facing business and everyone's, you know, the whole cost of living thing is top of mind for everybody. Now, they control around 20% of Australia's electricity generation capacity and they're predominantly East Coast, which means that they control an even bigger portion of the East Coast electricity market. They're the largest listed electricity generator within the national electricity market. And whilst that's called the national electricity market, it actually is the East Coast. It doesn't include Western Australia. And that, of course, means that they're potentially a political target. If if people feel that they are taking advantage of high prices to earn high margins, then that gets them on the radar for politicians and the like. Uh, so they will be very conscious of that. They have indeed set up this fund called a um, you know, hardship fund where they've set aside $70 million to try and help people who are doing it tough so that they can keep the lights on, literally. There's always a risk around that in a an oligopoly type of business. I mean, we're seeing it with the supermarkets. We see it with the airlines. Any industry where you've only got a couple of major players and you're providing what is pretty much an essential service, well, it is an essential service in terms of electricity, then you need to manage that community expectation. So any final thoughts on AGL? I'm not going to say, you know, jump in boots and all on it. It's a 
interesting business. I, I suggest that it's one to take a, a look at if you're interested in it and try and get your head around it. It's not simple, but as you study it, you can start to understand it. Obviously, the big unknown to some extent is the renewables play. They actually generate most of their income at the moment from coal, but they have committed to moving away from that within the next 12 years, and they've already shut down one of their power stations. So there's a lot riding on getting all the renewable energy uh, power plants in place. There's risk associated with that. Obviously, this is not completely new. It's been done before, but we are moving into somewhat new territory, particularly around the transmission of that power from where it's generated to where it's needed, usually in the cities. There's a whole lot of challenges with getting farmers and others to agree to have power poles put across their land. So there's a lot in play here. The, the whole carbon market environment is also in, in flux. They potentially will be significant beneficiaries of that, but also in the short term, they would be likely to be you know, penalised if a carbon tax were introduced in the short term. So yeah, there's a lot at play. And it, as I mentioned, they use a lot of derivatives. So it's worth digging into it if you're interested in this as a business. But it's important to understand just what the nature of the business is and what risks you would be taking on should you invest in it. So you mentioned carbon credits. Does AGL use carbon credits to um, try and reach their carbon commitments? So what AGL can do is because they are building um, renewable energy sources, they will be entitled to some of these uh, government long-term carbon credits, which can then be sold into the market. And that can be used as an income source or used to offset the carbon that they're generating from their other carbon-emitting power plants. So yes, they can effectively generate some income from that. Okay. Well, I just wanted to finish off with this to quote a little post I saw on X yesterday, formerly known as Twitter. And it was um, Valentine's Day yesterday where I'm recording on the 15th today. And someone posted, um, call me EBITDA because I can be anything you want me to be. Chris Batchelor, (laughs) thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks, Phil. Great to be with you as always. Thanks for listening to Shares for Beginners. You can find more at sharesforbeginners.com. If you enjoy listening, please take a moment to rate or review in your podcast player or tell a friend who might want to learn more about investing for their future. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.